This is one of Deep State Radio's briefs and debriefs. Hello and welcome to another episode of National Security Magazine from Deep State Radio. These are our one-on-one conversations with leading thought uh, leaders in national security. Uh, and today we are extremely proud and pleased to have with us General Mark Hurtling, uh, who is one of uh, the most distinguished products of the U.S. military in the past several decades, uh, and may be known to all of you as a national security and military analyst for CNN. Welcome, General. Well, that's that's quite an introduction, David. I'm not sure the the professors at the military academy would agree, quite agree with you on that distinguished product, but I'll take it. And, well, and my mother would be proud <laughs> for sure. Well, uh, good. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm glad. You know, you're the only guest, and we might as well, uh, you know, get, uh, give you the best possible <laughs> treatment here. Um, right. So, so uh, let's let's start with you know some recent developments. Um, uh, the president two years ago, as he started, um, and had no experience in 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 the government, um, made a decision to surround himself with generals, which he quickly, uh, in 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 Trumpian style, uh, began to refer to as my generals. And there were there were a bunch of them. Um, uh, there was. Uh, 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 James Mattis at the Secretary of Defense. There was H.R. McMaster. Uh, there was Mike Flynn. Um, uh, and 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 generals got peopled throughout the government. Now, of course, all those people are gone. And even some of the other generals in this past week, uh, Tony Zinni decided that uh, uh, the work that he was doing at the State Department could not be, um, uh, uh, or uh, that he wanted to draw that to a conclusion. So the question is, what happened? <clears throat> Sorry, I'm kind of getting over a cold. What happened there? Yeah, uh, it, it's a good question. And it was a topic that was debated extensively uh, within the officer core of all the services. Uh, are there too many generals going into uh, government, into politics? Is he uh, overly relying on those in the military, especially after the last, um, when he took office 15 years of war, where several of the previous administrations tend, tended to lean on uh, a military solution to many problems. And I think it concerned uh, people on both sides of the aisle for several reasons. Uh, first of all, from the civil military relationship standpoint, but also from the standpoint of, are we going to continue to try and solve all of America's foreign challenges with military solution? Um, that that was debated early on. Uh, truthfully, the, the, the general officers he selected to serve early in the administration, um, I, I knew several of them, some of them better than others. Uh, John Kelly and I, for an example, were stationed as division commanders in combat together in, in Iraq at the same time in 2007 and eight during the surge. I found John Kelly as a, as a Marine to be an extremely good commander and, and terrific leader of Marines in a combat environment. 
some of that certainly changed when he got into government, both at the uh, uh, Department of uh, uh, Homeland Security and also as the chief of staff. I knew H.R. McMaster uh, very well. And as a matter of fact, Bobby Caslin, uh, the two guys that went uh, to interview with Trump uh, for the national security advisor job after Flynn was fired, um, are both very good soldiers. Bob Gaslin and I are classmates. H.R. McMaster, uh, I knew throughout my career, he's an armored cavalry officer as I am. Uh, he's a very it leads, talented it leads to the question. Guy. It leads to the question, how, how come you didn't end up in this crowd of people? You <laughs> seem like... Uh, yeah, I, I, well, first of all, I was retired at the time, uh, and I showed no interest in, in <laughs> going into his administration. Uh, I had actually been uh, uh, providing input from for several of the candidates uh, on both sides of the aisle, truthfully, when they asked for advice on the situation in Europe and the Middle East. I had given uh, several candidates, both Republican and uh, Democrats, some information. Uh, and and it, he was just not one of the ones that reached out to me. And I, I also think uh, I burned any bridges, thankfully, uh, when... I was doing an interview with Anderson Cooper one time, I think it was in June of 16 during the campaign, and uh, it was right after Mr. Trump had said he, he thought people were stupid for not going into Iraq and stealing the oil, and we should have the oil as part of the war booty. I did an interview with Cooper, who asked me about that, and I told him some of the scenarios in northern Iraq, where a third of Iraq's oils were, and how we had asked some... Uh, uh, U.S. companies to come in and help us to reestablish the, the oil industry, and and they were frustrated early. Those companies were frustrated early on and left. He, uh, Anderson, relayed that to Mr. Trump in an interview, and and I think I had distinct characteristic of being the first general officer that Trump said he was smarter than. Uh, during that interview, he, you know, Cooper relayed, well, we have General Hurtling who was there in northern Iraq and he said this, this and this. And it was that point that Trump said, well, then I guess I'm smarter than that general. So I have that unique distinction. I'm very proud of uh, him being smarter than me in terms of what's going on in northern Iraq. But anyway, going back to the generals, all of them are are good military officers. They're solid. Uh, but as we saw, some of them were a little bit tainted by uh, the the person they were around uh, and the character of their commander in chief, a key element of leadership. Well, you talk a lot about leadership, and and yeah. and and I I I know you've worked a lot in that area even since you left the military, and you know there 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 are multiple aspects to it. There's the character of the leader. There's the vision or the agenda of the leader. There's the process the leader uses to bring into the picture the views of uh, top uh, advisors, um, uh, and uh, to there's the, the 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 elements of the process which hold a team together. Right. How how would you grade uh, the president in each of these things, and which do you think was most um, critical to the to the complete breakdown of this idea that? This would be a president surrounded by uh, senior professional uh, military officers. Well, I, I think it broke down from the very beginning, uh, truthfully. And, and you know, David, we in the military try and keep it as simple as we can when we teach things. And leadership is one of those areas which can be 
pretty simple when you look at it. We, the military has a doctrinal manual that says there are three key attributes of leadership, uh, a leader's character, his, pres- his or her presence, and his or her intellect. And then they also have three competencies, the way they build trust, the way they develop others, and the way they act when uh, making decisions. Now, certainly those three characters and uh, or attributes and competencies can be broken down further, and I don't mean to simplify it that much. I've studied this a lot. But it seems Mr. Trump, from the very beginning, even before he was elected president, showed some weaknesses in the aspect of character, uh, the way he presented himself uh, through uh, falsehoods and a lack of integrity, and his intellect about certain aspects of governmental function and international affairs. I mean, that was obvious before he was elected. In terms of the competencies, as you just stated, a guy builds trust, a person builds trust by speaking truth and being transparent, being candid. Uh, And we certainly have found that that the president has a propensity to lie a lot. Uh, He develops others uh, that's the second competency. And Mr. Trump, uh, you know, uses the catchphrase of you're fired during his TV show, but he doesn't seem to have had the courage to do any of that in real life. He, he leaves that up to others. So there certainly isn't any development of others. He just supposedly hires the best people. And we found how that goes. And then finally, the aspect of taking action, like you said, it is a process. Uh, there's systems that are put in place. It's where leadership meets management and power. And um, we've certainly seen that there there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of processes in the Trump administration. And in fact, we're seeing that today. Uh, on the 11th of January, as, as everyone is reading the different chaotic messages that have been sent over the last several weeks and as recently as yesterday in the Middle East, uh, our allies and our foes are, are both confused and delighted respectfully because the messaging and the processes haven't relied on a, a national security uh, institution and getting the right kind of information for decision making. Um, you know, I've written a few uh, books on the national security <laughs> process in, in, the, right. in the government. And, you know, I've never really seen anything like this. Um, there has been dysfunction before, you know, around Iran-Contra, as an example, many people cite when the president was kind of disconnected from the process and, you know, the kids at the NSC were unsupervised and Ollie North got some people off in 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 operational directions that, that, that ultimately led to, you know, uh, problems with the law for two national security advisors and, and many others. Um, but even in that case, there was a process within that group. There were senior people up the chain who were being consulted. They were keeping information from Congress. That was bad. The president wasn't interested. That was bad. But there was something going on. Here, there's no evidence of that. Um, right. the, you, you know, the, 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 there's not much process. They don't have many meetings. Um, the people who are in charge of the process, like Bolton, sort of cleave to Trump when they're near Trump and pursue their own agenda when they're away from Trump. And most importantly, <coughs> the president doesn't read anything. He doesn't listen to his advisors. And that negates the whole process because it's built to serve him. And I'm just wondering, you know, have you ever seen anything like that? And 
Do you think that was, you know, the final straw? I mean, I, I, some people I know who who know these guys well were were kind of surprised when some of them joined, surprised that some lasted so long, and 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 now are in a different place altogether. Um, uh, uh, and they'd be extremely surprised if anybody else with that kind of background joined this administration again. And so I'm wondering, as you look at it from the perspective of what do we know now, um, you know, you know, are there are there some insights we can gain into how the Trump administration or Trump operates based on um, the fact that there has been this kind of complete separation between him and people who come from this background? Well, you you are certainly the expert. Uh, on the national security process. I am not. I only had a period of two years uh, based at the Pentagon. I'm mostly a uh, operational training sort of guy, so I'm not as involved in national security policy as some of the other guests you've had on this show. But what I did see uh, when I was the J7 uh, on the joint staff, working with the NSC, working with people in uh, the executive office building and the White House and the State Department was decisions that flow to that strategic level are always tough ones. And if you don't get the smart people in the room to provide input, and if you don't have a process to address that, it's it's chaotic. And, uh, you know, it, it it's the, the issue of the kind of individual going back to leadership that that we've elected, um, you know, there's a theory of leadership called transformational leadership where everything is about furthering the the strength and the the culture of the organization. That's what mostly politicians belong to. It's not usually not not about them. It's usually not about winning, although those are elements uh, of of their approach. But those are other um, leadership theories. What Mr. Trump is, is truly a transactional leader where it's a, how do I win at any cost and how do I gain more for me while leaving everyone else out? And truthfully, you know, for all the people who've said he was such a successful business leader, the facts show differently. So he is a transactional leader and not a very good one at that. And the, the nation needs a transformational leader, an individual who is understands that they might say things during a campaign, but when they're the leader of the entire nation, they have to work for the betterment of our society and the betterment of the nation. M Mr. Trump isn't doing that. He's still looking for the daily wins as opposed to the long-term uh, building of society and our national values and norms. So that affects everything that's taking place today. And it's it's really unfortunate because as all army colonels learn when they go to the war college, when you're talking about organizations, personalities matter. And we have a very unique personality in this White House who is challenged with dealing with others, not only domestically, but especially internationally. And it's concerning. Well, you know, he went to military school. What went wrong? I mean... <laughs> And, and he's smarter have, than all the generals. So that's he's smart. That's, it, it must have been those bone spurs, yeah, you know, that that, and that really sort of uh, uh, set him set him off course. Um, 
as we look forward to this sort of future of civ mill relations going forward, though, you now have a president who sort of burnt some of these bridges. Uh, but you also have this other phenomenon, which you know I, I, I think intersects with that, which is you know the president wants to use the military for non-military purposes because it's easier than dealing with the Congress. And so, you know, he sent the military to the southern border to defend us against a non-existent threat. Um, uh, and, you know, the military does what it was, it's told, and it, and it, and it went there. Uh, and now he's trying to invoke emergency powers and, and possibly get the Army Corps of Engineers to build the wall because... You know, nobody else wants him to build the wall. And seems to me that, you know, on the surface, whereas the, the response of military officers is, you know, to presidents typically is yes, sir, um, that this this could exacerbate the problems that already exist in the situation. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, my, my thoughts are exactly that, that it will exacerbate um, another institution, which I think is... Uh, I personally believe is one of the key challenges we, we, we're going to have to face after this president leaves office. And that is how many institutions has he really affected and how do we gain back uh, the kinds of institutions that are part of our republic? Uh, th those are all elements of an existential threat, I think, to our society right now. And I'm, I'm not being hyperbolic on that. I, I really believe that this is disconcerting. I, I'm very concerned about our democratic institutions and the way he has damaged them across the board with insults and with improper use of the institutions and by uh, pitting one side of our nation against another. Uh, so the next president is really going to have to address that. But it also, from a military standpoint, uh, there has been several things he has asked the military to do, all legally, uh, you know, and, and legal doesn't always equal smart, but the, the guys in uniform are having to say, yes, sir, because they are not illegal or immoral orders, but they are some goofy ones, that's for sure, that are not based on any kind of intelligence feat. Uh, and, and if there's anything the U.S. military has learned, the men and women will uh, fight for intelligence and then use that intelligence to conduct operations. We're, we're now being asked to conduct operations based on one man's gut feel, and that's the president. But what's problematic with that is while we're off on all these forays to these uh, strange missions that don't seem to have an intelligence uh, approach to them uh, or a threat approach, uh, there are some other areas in the international arena that are becoming increasingly troublesome. Uh, Russian expansionism, uh, cybersecurity, not only just in the military realm, but also in, in, in the private sector, which could be extremely damaging, uh, a continuing being played by the North Koreans and the Chinese in terms of the, the, uh, the Pacific Rim. Uh, terrorist ideology is certainly not defeated, although ISIS has taken a blow. And, and even though the current president is taking all the credit for that, you know, that was years worth of hard work by the military and the diplomatic corps to put them in, back in check. 
and by our alliances, uh, people who are partners like Iraq. Um, the other problem I see, which is really concerning to me, is the weakening of our alliances across the board uh, in Europe, in the Pacific, in South America, and 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 especially in the Middle East, as we've seen with with Mr. Bolton and Mr. Pompeo within the last few days, uh, thinking that they are doing the president's bidding and doing it within a culture that I don't think either one of them truly understand. Uh, and some of the things that, that Mr. Pompeo said yesterday, again, going back to the leadership aspects, when you go into a foreign country and and say things that have no uh, true action behind behind the words, uh, the allies and the partners get it. And they're seeing right through all this, uh, these words that, that don't have any meaning behind them. Uh, at least that's the feedback I'm getting from some of the f colleagues I used to have in some of these countries. Well, actually, I, I think that speech was uh, unsuccessful from a leadership perspective and a policy perspective on, on a number of levels. I think you mentioned one of them. I think another is, you know, we used to have this tradition that politics ended at the water's edge because right. we wouldn't go, you know, a secretary of state or a president wouldn't go overseas and attack the other party because they wanted to send the message that the United States was unified. And Pompeo's speech um, actively attacked the Obama administration, uh, wrong in terms of the politics stops at the water's edge issue, also quite inappropriate for a secretary of state to do with the president. Uh, then beyond that, of course, uh, the 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 uh, speech uh, essentially gave cover to the Saudi government for what they did with Khashoggi, right. uh, and gave a fig leaf of cover to the Sisi government, which has been right. uh, as oppressive as any Egyptian leader ever. Uh, and of course, America's moral standing matters too to our allies. You were stationed in a number of places, but uh, I imagine in your experience in Europe, um, that was, you know, that's a, a particular sensitive issue with it, our allies. Yeah, it really is. Europe, I keep going back to that and knowing Europe very well. I, uh, we were stationed, I was stationed in Europe uh, at different times for a total of 13 years. Um, so I, I think I know Europe very well. My last tour there as the commander of U.S. Army in Europe, uh, I went to every one of the 49 countries that make up Europe at least once and most of them multiple times. And again, pull, pulling in Mr. Pompeo's speech yesterday, I, I read the whole speech uh, this morning. And the one line that I wrote down that just really, or the, the one paragraph that I wrote down, which really uh, resonated, uh, was when he said these things. When America retreats, chaos follows. When we neglect our friends, resentment builds. When we partner with enemies, they advance. Now, he was talking, as you said, in Cairo. But when you apply that, those three sentences to Europe, it describes exactly what we have done with our European partners. You know, I was commanding in Europe when, when Mr. Obama uh, made the one statement that we were going to pivot to Asia. And it was as simple as that. And that very one simple statement of America's strategy was going to pivot to A Asia, it was well-meaning, but, but not 
the, the words were not as precise as they should have been. That caused terror, terror tremors throughout Europe that, oh my gosh, the U.S. is deserting us. Uh, our alliances aren't going to be as close as they used to be. And that was with our friends, with our enemies like Russia. It was an open door to uh, uh, more expansionism. Now, you can debate that from a political perspective, but that's what occurred when I talked to uh, foreign governments and foreign militaries. That's what they were saying. They were concerned that uh, Mr. Obama was stating a new policy that did not put as much attention on Europe as it did on, on the Far East. Now, that changed when the language changed a bit. Well, you apply that same kind of uh, cause effect to what is going on when Mr. Trump or any of his staff go to NATO summits and speak the way they've been speaking or when they go to the Middle East and say the things that they're saying. And what I will report, my friends, my colleagues, my former buddies from Europe are appalled at some of the things they see. And they're concerned about alliances that were built over years are being destroyed. So you combine the domestic policies, which in my view are taking us backwards, with uh, the, the divisive domestic policies and the assaults on our, on our very firm institutions, which are so far withholding, but there are showing cracks. And you combine those with what's going on with our international policy and the next president, whoever he or she might be, is going to have uh, unbelievable requirements from the standpoint of not only uh, policy making and building up of systems that have been destroyed, but the real requirement to be the most honest uh, person you can imagine with huge integrity and uh, amazing transparency and just being the kind of transformational leader that our great country needs. You know, I think I'm going to start. I'm not going to penalize you by having you uh, 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 um, involved in it. But as you've inspired me to start in uh, all of our Deep State Radio podcasts, a um, penalty jar. And that if anybody mentions Trump policy, Trump strategy, or Trump doctrine, they're going to have to put, you know, <laughs> a buck in the jar. Right. Um, or defend the idea that there is actually strategy, policy, or doctrine involved. Because well, let, let, it, let me... it, it, tends to, it tends to be impulse. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's something rather different, right? Well, let, let, me, let, me, let me share a story with you very quickly. I, I don't think I'm beholden to anyone to not share this story. But when uh, H.R. McMaster was the uh, national security advisor, and they were getting to roll out, or they were preparing to roll out the national security strategy, he, as all good advisors do, he looked for people to bounce it off of before he went forward with the publication. Uh, at one point, he asked a bunch of military analysts from all the networks, uh, MSNBC, Fox, CNN, ABC, CBS, to go on a teleconference with him uh, after he gave them some talking points that they were going to use for the for the NSS. Um, what all of us said when we read it was, okay, HR, this is good. Uh, it's a it's a good document. It has, you know, the finer points of diplomacy and and what the nation's direction is based on the president's ideology. The problem is he's not going to follow any of this. We've already seen that he doesn't follow any of this. 
So how are you going to hold him to a national security strategy, which he probably never has read and certainly won't follow? And it and that's been proven to be the point. I mean, if you look at the at the document, which is the national security strategy that H.R. McMaster and his team wrote, we are countering it as a nation on a daily basis in terms of action. Uh, so that piece of paper isn't worth very much. Uh, so well, you're right. There is no strategy. There is no policy. There's only gut feel. And that's bad. Yeah. And and I think, you know, that that also relates to the Pompeo speech in a in a in a way, because uh, I think I tweeted out or said something yesterday to the effect with regard to the speech that it was um, as, uh, you know, offensive to our allies in terms of its substance um, as it should have been to Pompeo in terms of his irrelevance, Pompeo in terms of his irrelevance, because regardless of what he says, it's pretty clear to the allies that he, that we're dealing with right now that we have more power and 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 uh, decisions being made by one man than than ever before. Right. Uh, and so no matter what he says, he could have a long trade negotiation, change in a dime. And, and an example that illustrates this very well is, is the Syria policy. And again, I know this is an area that you're very familiar with, but the, the and, and see, I have to put a dollar in the jar because there, I said policy, but, 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 the, but, but the, with regard to Syria, you know, we were on a, a track sort of, you know, at one point it was kind of aggressive and 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 we, and we you know blew up some pieces of a runway um, uh, and on other points it was you know a big success in terms of the president's PR because we were defeating Isis or as he said in one tweet that we had succeeded in doing that and then he was gonna pull out altogether and then now a couple of you know weeks later, Bolton is saying, well, we're going to pull out within months of achieving our goals, but the goals themselves might take months or years. Um, and if you're a Turk or if you're an uh, uh, Israeli, if you're from the Gulf, if you're a, a Russian or an Iranian, you have no idea what he's going to do because right. because it's so, you know, blowing in the wind, you know, I, it, it, it it's it, and and you know you could say the same was true with regard to Korea policy, right? You know all the critical areas for, for you know and danger zones for the U.S. in terms of national security seem to me to be being made more dangerous because our allies can count on us less, and our adversaries are are given the opportunity to take advantage of the void of our leadership. Right. And, and I would agree wholeheartedly with both of those things. And it's not just in one part of the world. It's in every corner of the globe that that's occurring. Um, but I'll take it even one step further. Uh, again, not having been as involved in the strategy arena as, as you have and others have, I'm going to look at it from the operational arena that we have in the military have always been taught that values, our national values, drive our national strategy and our national policies toward different countries. But those strategies and policies also drive operations. So if you're wearing the uniform, uh, as much as we know that we're causing our allies to be confused and our foes to be rejoicing, 
uh, from the standpoint of military operations, diplomatic operations, economic operations, and informational operations, the four elements of national power. It, it, again, the process is dysfunctional because as strong as we have, uh, as strong of individuals as we have in each one of those areas who want to do well and who are very smart, the higher level leaders are confused Therefore, the middle level leaders are confused and the privates and the sergeants on the ground uh, are being put in harm's way for the wrong reasons. And that's unfortunate. One I mean, of the consequences of that, it seems to me also from a operational perspective or one of the confusions is that military leaders are being put in the position of saying yes, sir, while trying to figure out how not to follow through on things. And whether this has to do with a ban on transgender uh, soldiers or, you know, what exactly they're going to do on the border or how quickly they're going to pull out of a, out of, out of, out of a region. um, It does seem like there must be some confusion in the ranks when the president says, we're going to ban these transgender people, and the and the and the the DoD says, you know, you first learned they weren't consulted, and then they say, well, we're going to review this, and you've got a bunch of people saluting and saying yes, sir, but not following through. It it it's got to have a, a a kind of pernicious effect on morale and and the operational function of the military. It does because it affects one thing, and that's trust. Uh, when there's uh, the, the the degrading of trust between the soldier and the leader, because the leader's trying to work their way through these issues. Uh, And I would say there's probably, you know, I've heard terms like slow rolling or, you know, we're ignoring those orders. That is never the case. I think most military commanders know that they have a le- well, all military commanders know they have a legal obligation to follow the orders of those in their chain of command. But when these kind of orders are given that seem to be contrary to good order and discipline, and when Secretary Mattis was in uh, as a Secretary of Defense, he would say, okay, let's let's study this and do the best we can in terms of following the order, but also taking care of good order and discipline. You know, we in the military have an expression for that. That's trying to make chicken salad out of chicken shit. And it's unfortunate that it comes to that. It appears like it's being slow walked or slow rolled. But in fact, we are attempting to use our military planning process to do the best thing if it's a legal order. Now, In some of the cases, like the transgender ban or uh, immigrants in the military, those were borderline illegal orders based on what the courts had said the military would do and what law and policy was written in our books. So I think, and again, I'm not in the military anymore, but I'm sure the secretary and the chairman were trying to find ways to break it to Mr. Trump that you couldn't you couldn't issue that order because it was illegal. And if you did, you would have to go to Congress to get the law changed or the UCMJ changed. So those are the kind of things that are happening, but all during that time while the senior level people are trying to work through these kinds of orders, the junior level people who aren't involved in the decision-making are going, what the hell's going on? What, are you guys crazy? What's, what's happening? 
you know, with 6,000 transgenders, I think was the number I heard uh, in the military, they were like, hey, don't our leaders support us anymore? Well, of course they still support you. Give us a minute to work through that. But you can't say that because the president, the commander in chief has issued an order. That's another problem with the processes being as broke as they are. When something is announced on Twitter without any analysis or or understanding of of people giving their best advice, you're going to have problems. And golly, how many times have we seen that happen in the last two years? Well, you know, it gets even more complicated in the sense that, you know, in, in Latin America and other parts of the world, we're not that unaccustomed to seeing coups in countries where right. the military leaders huh. take over. And, and of course, you know, wh when there were all those generals around the president, there were a lot of people going, oh, this is really uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, there's, there's, there's too much of that. But, you know, there are different kinds of coups. And it looks to me like the greater danger in the United States is that the chief executive and the government uh, accrues power to himself by breaking down traditions, customs, right. and barriers to that power uh, and saying, well, if Congress doesn't do for me what I want, then I'm going to find a loophole and order the military to do for me what I want. And the military is then put in the position of saying, well, our job, um, our mandate is to say, yes, sir. But if we go ahead, if the Army Corps of Engineers goes ahead and supports uh, an executive emergency action to build a wall that the Congress won't fund, you know, what's the choice? Do it and wait for the courts to fix it or uh, slow walk it? Um, because if the president does that, you know, that is going to, you know, lead to more power being concentrated in the hands of one man than should be so under the Constitution of the United States. Well, right. Um, and, and, yeah. And, and that's the point. It, again, I'll go back to uh, military leaders are trained in understanding what their requirements are to follow legal orders and do it with passion and energy and push back against illegal, unethical or immoral orders. So you're right. If 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 the president gives an order uh, and and it's an emergency declaration and says start okay military start building the wall, they will start building the wall until it's proven to be illegal. They will wait for the lawyers to say it's an illegal order because they will follow the order until it's proven to be illegal. Uh, you and I are both active Twitterers, um, and I can't tell you the number of times I've been asked by followers, how come you military guys aren't going into the White House and arresting this guy and throwing him out? Because that's called a coup, and we don't do that in a democratic society. So if, if you're really wanting a new president, you better get out and vote or somehow persuade the Republicans to put a damper on that. I think all of that is coming. Uh, I think the, the, the Republicans seem to, they seem to start uh, they, they are seemingly starting to grow a little bit more of a spine to stand up to dumb things. Uh, it's taken way too long to do that, and I can't figure it out personally. I can't figure out why a con man that I believe the president is has still has so many supporters. But, boy, aren't we a great nation because we do have that diversity. <laughs> Unfortunately, 
the great diverse nation also has some down uh, downfalls too, and we're experiencing that until we get our government back on track. But you know, I I happen to be reading the Ron Chernow's great book on Grant right now, and uh, just finished with the first couple of chapters of of the reconstruction period of his presidency. We've seen this before. America has seen this kind of trouble before. And in fact, in sometimes in past ages, it was worse. Uh, it just seems like this is all encompassing because of the news cycle and social media and all that, and everyone's involved. Uh, it's not as hidden as it was during the Gilded Age and Reconstruction, but uh, we, we will get through this, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, yep. and, and I think we'll be better for it too, personally. But I, I tend, I tend to agree with you, and I would like to, you know, wrap up with, you know, a, a question in that vein. Um, you know, we we call uh, our our one of our weekly podcasts Deep State Radio, and the overall entity is Deep State Radio Network. Um, uh, not because we're actually officially part of the deep state, but because we don't actually we don't actually believe in it. But but to take the piss out of this kind of crazy conspiracy theory. Now, having said that, I've also said for a long time, one of the things that will save us is this thing that people call the deep state, which is the great group of professionals who are in the United States government and in the United States military who have dedicated their lives to public service, the respect for the rule of law, the respect for process, and who simply will resist having things get off track. And, you know, we've heard already a couple of stories about, you know, Mattis going to subordinates and saying, look, you know, if somebody gives you the order to use nuclear weapons, don't make a cup of coffee till you call me. Um, and some people might see that as resistance, but I see it as fail safes. So I see it as professionalism. I see it as people trying to adhere to their oath to the Constitution and to recognize that the con serving the Constitution is more important than serving any one individual. And I'm just wondering what your your view is of this apparatus of 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 lifelong professionals um, and their ability to help stave off the, uh, the, 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 the efforts of a few who seek to steal the power of the American people and to turn it to their own purposes. Um, I, I think as an amateur historian, we've had that throughout our uh, 200 plus years of existence as a nation, that there have always been individuals who want more for themselves than they provide for the nation. Um, that that's human nature. It's human foibles. Uh, it troubles me that that we have individuals in government who are taking that beautiful oath to defend the Constitution uh, and yet put party over country uh, or self over nation. Uh, you know what I'll tell you, David. I as a soldier, I as I travel around to those different countries, I used to ask soldiers in other nations what they took an oath to, to defend. 
And it was fascinating to me. I'd get really interesting responses of, oh, we take our oath to the El Presidente or uh, the motherland or the fatherland. And is the, in, the, in Israel, they, they, they take an oath to place themselves between the people and the sea. We are the only, the U.S. is the only nation on the face of the earth that vows to defend a piece of paper, uh, which represents ideas. Um, and, and I think that's not old fashioned. Uh, it's a beautiful, our constitution is a beautiful document. Uh, and if anyone were to read it, they would understand how beautiful it is and how complex it is. Uh, but there are those, as you say, in government, in the military, in the intel community, in security, in the security business, who take that oath to defend ideas seriously. Um, I think we have to get more of our nation involved in that. Uh, as opposed to vowing to make more money or be more material in their approach and have a lot more people understand the ideas that are associated with our values and what we stand for are, are much more important and it's what's made us great. So I, I have faith in that. Uh, I think that's going to come back and it's we're, we're hitting an inflection point. And I think, you know, truthfully, I'd, I hate to say this, but I believe every once in a while we might need a Trump not not someone quite this extreme, but someone that should remind us what's important and what we live to defend and what we put our lives on the line to defend. Again, soldiers will say, hey, we'll, we'll not only defend this, we'll defend this to the death. People sign up to do that, which has always amazed me. Um, so that's a whole lot more important than a lot of the other things that are going on. But we've got to get back to that. Yeah, you say we 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 need a Trump every so often. How long do we need one for? I, <laughs> I, I, I won't I won't make comment on that, but I think I think we're pushing the envelope right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we maybe we've maybe maybe we've we've had enough. Well, you mentioned earlier that we both are sort of active on Twitter, and I admire that you can do that. I hope that your family is more supportive than mine. That you know, they, they are not. They're not. <laughs> my, my wife is not. My, the 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 ten or eleven death threats are. Being called a traitor every day and telling people telling me I should have burned my uniform and you know sit down and shut up. It's ubiquitous, but that's only outdone by the people who say thanks for speaking up. So I'm going to continue to do that. Yeah, well, I feel you, brother, because you know I've been there <laughs> on a daily basis, both with the death threats and the attacks, and also the wife who thinks it's you know a complete waste of my time. Um, but one of the things I I said on Twitter uh, yesterday uh, resonates with what you were saying, uh, because, of course, Trump was raised in a world where if you had enough lawyers and enough money, you you found a way to work around the law. Right. Um, uh, whereas people in the military have been in a world in which, um, you know, you're you're raised to honor the law, just as people are in the U.S. government and to actually protect the rule of law. Uh, and the conclusion I reached on this is, you know, the Constitution is not a suggestion. Um, you know, it is, it is the core of 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 what we're about and what we defend. Um, you've devoted your life to that. We admire it, uh, and uh, you're great at providing uh, insights into it, both in the work that you do on TV and uh, and now, thanks to your appearance here, here, and we hope you'll come back again. Hey, I'd love to. Uh, this this has been fun talking about this. It's uh, it's a whole lot better than the the 
minute and a half sound bites on CNN too to actually get deeply into these issues, which are so affecting America. Thank, thanks so much for asking me, David. Really appreciate well, it. Well, we'll have you back again soon. Thank you very, very much. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.